Yes, I've been broken hearted. Oh, I said the wrong word. Welcome to Holy Spirits, the show where we're not going to heaven, but you might be. Not me. My name's Mike. I'm Tara. I'm Heather. Why don't we start off with our Holy Spirits of the day? Okay. I am drinking a bottle of white Zinfandel. And and when I say bottle, I mean bottle. I'm not even bothering with the glass. <laughs> God bless you. Yeah. Go to fucking town, man. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. That's Heather's go-to these days. I know. Heather's getting the classic. Mm-hmm. I'm drinking a rum and coke. Mm, that sounds good. With maraschino cherries. I think you had that last time. I don't know. Did Ooh. I? Yes, you did. We had a whole thing about the maraschino cherries. <laughs> well, maybe I'm getting a classic. I actually hate rum and coke, but it's the only thing I could find. Mm. So I like it with lime. Interesting. Like making it like a little mm-hmm. like Mexican-esque. Sure. Zesty. I'm drinking Truly, which is my go-to. So we really have a rhythm here. Been, yeah. But but my truly has whiskey in it. Truly, I do. Wait, you said you put whiskey in your truly? What now? Yeah, Excellent. that's the whole drink. It's just whiskey and truly. It's like a fruity whiskey. Ooh, that sounds good. Which is like any whiskey that I drink is a slightly fruitier whiskey. But we are on Apple Podcasts. Please like, review, and subscribe. You can join our Facebook group at Holy Spirits the Podcast, and our email address is Holy Spirits Podcast at Gmail dot com. This is an episode that I've been super looking forward to, mostly because we coined the name of it before I did any of the research, and I like couldn't get through it without singing ABBA, which is fabulous. You know, it brought a lot of ABBA to my life, which made me very happy. I love ABBA. I do too. I seriously had, their greatest hits was one of my first CDs for the children. That's what was before iTunes. (laughs) Like, what's a CD? I had cassette tapes, girlfriend. Yeah. (gasps) Mm -hmm. Oh, and actually, before that, I still remember eight tracks. I don't even know what that means. Like in the car? I at least saw a tape. I don't know if I ever used one, but I never saw an eight track. An eight track, yeah. We had had one in our, like, our entertainment console at home. So there you go. I'm totally dating myself, but (laughs) whatever. Virgin Mary. So you haven't even said the title. Oh, it's uh, Mama Maria, Here We Go Again. Mama Maria. I mean, can we all just take a second to love this? My, my, how could I resist you? But yes, Virgin Mary. So what do you guys know about Virgin Mary? She was a virgin. Correct. Nailing it figuratively. Wasn't Wasn't she like 12 or 13? Wasn't she like really young when... She became pregnant. She was a wee baby, yes. She was married to a man named Joseph. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who did not de-virginize her until after she had a wee baby named Jesus. And isn't there some talk or not controversy, but that she was always a virgin, that she never consummated? <gasps> you guys, you're so on it. We're going to talk about that. Oh my God, we're so good. And she was not blonde-haired, blue-eyed. She was not blonde hair, blue eyed. That's correct. I thought that Jesus had siblings. But weren't they from a previous marriage? Joseph's previous marriage? Oh, yeah. We're so going to go there. 
Oh my god, Heather. Way to ruin it. <laughs> this is exactly what happened in the Mary Magdalene episode. <laughs> no, 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 no. We've talked about all this before in past podcasts. Oh, I'm like, no, no, no. I swear I didn't Google. I just listen and I learn. She's the she's the sponge that we were hoping for. But yeah, and um oh I had something else. Oh, and Jesus really wasn't he born really in the spring sometime? The December 25th holiday co- coincides with some pagan holiday, and we just had to do that to appease the church. Yes, December 25th, apparently, I think it's Saturnalia. Doesn't it coordinate with, like, the winter solstice? Yeah, um, I think it did on the Julian calendar. Yeah, but I, I think sweet baby Jesus was actually born in the spring or something, I don't know. Cool, so yes, her name is where we will start. Her name in Aramaic is Mariam. Uh, in Hebrew, it's Miriam, and that got borrowed into Greek as Mariam and Maria. So from Mariam, we got Maria, and then into Latin, Maria, French, Marie, and then English, Mary. So Mary and Miriam are the same name in the same way that Jesus and Joshua are the same name, where they just kind of branched off, but they're the same thing when you go back. And like we talked about with Mary Magdalene and stuff, the, the name is super common. Everyone and their fucking dog is named Mary during the first century when Jesus lived. So was she called something like Mary of? No, she's always called Virgin Mary. She's always called Blessed Virgin. I mean, she has a million titles and we'll talk about the titles in just a second. But but yeah, it's interesting that Mary Magdalene gets this kind of moniker of she's from Magdala, you know, that Mary. And Virgin Mary is just like, Jesus talked to his mother. She's often unnamed. She actually just, she's often Jesus's mother. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I don't like that. Yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty condescending. Yeah. Mom, mom, meatloaf. <laughs> there are a lot of characters. Joseph is a good example of a character who, in theory, is a a very important part of Jesus's life, but um, he's not that important spiritually. I I wonder if we'll do an episode about him eventually. But Mary is not like that. She is obviously one of the most important people in Jesus's life, but she like gestated Jesus and Jesus's birth is holy. Therefore she has a bunch of holy connotations as well. So she becomes this huge figure in Christianity. One of the big questions among early Christians is how holy is Jesus? Because some people view him as like a totally human person who has a really special relationship with God. And other people think of him as fully divine. And he just like popped down to earth for a bit but that he was a god in human form, or if he's just like a dude who was very in touch with it. And the eventual view that most Christians have is kind of both. He's a divine being who lived a mortal life. So like he walked around, he ate, he shat, he talked to people, he slept, but that he also has God's ear and has this like greater cosmic being. But of course that matters a lot for how we view Mary because if Jesus is literally the incarnation of a god or something very similar to a god well that means that she, you know, had that super close physical primal relationship between mother and son. So how holy Jesus is affects how holy she is. Hmm. So I guess if you birth a god then you by turn get to be a god. Um, not necessarily, but you're, you're definitely on that train of thought that I was just talking about. Okay. I mean, like, let's put it this way. Um, Dionysus's mother, I can't remember her name, but, um, the mother of Dionysus in Greek mythology, 
who is my favorite god. So I love that we're picking him. <laughs> the god of wine. God of wine. And- <laughs> yes. But I just love how he is showcased in like different stories because sometimes he's kind of like a respectable kind of like, you know, guy who's like um loves theater and good food and stuff. And then other times he's just like a drunken fool that everyone just makes fun of. And I just love that he is just two sides of a coin. Mm-hmm. He's diverse. Yes. But so Zeus knocks up his mom and then Hera is jealous and she tricks Zeus into showing his uh, God form to this woman. And she combusts basically because Zeus's God form is like a bolt of lightning. It's an overwhelming, like infinite thing. So there is a precedent in other mythology that is older than Christianity where a God revealing his cosmic nature to a human literally burnt her to a crisp. Now, Zeus does reproduce with a lot of human women, but reproducing versus being in the presence of and like taking all of their awesome might all at once, like those are two different things. Having Mary have such a close relationship with Jesus when he's so cosmically important, you know, it depends on how cosmically important he is, but she must have something special about her if she can do this. I I want to say too that she famously appears all the time both figuratively and literally. So there are a lot of churches and places and beings, apparitions, that are known as Our Lady of. Our Lady of the Pillar, Our Lady of blah, blah, blah. One of the most notable incarnations of Mary is Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe, the Virgin of Guadalupe, because there was a man in Mexico in the 1500s who, his name was Juan Diego Huautlatzoatzin, I think, and he he spoke Nahuatl, and uh, she appeared five times to him, and it was like a great big thing. Well, now that's a part of the national identity of Mexico, is this image of the Virgin Mary as the Virgin of Guadalupe. So we we see that she just kind of pops up through the centuries. She appears to people in these like very faithful moments, and then those become integrated into our national lore and our national identities. And like, it's also why Notre Dame Cathedral Notre Dame in French means Our Lady. It's called Our Lady Cathedral. It's called Notre Dame de Paris, Our Lady of Paris. Hmm. She's also known as Madonna, which just means My Lady in Italian. It it's not like a a particularly fancy title or anything. And that's why Madonna is named Madonna, after the Virgin Mary. And yes, and my grandmother used to say a Hail Mary before dinner. Oh, like this is how this is how culturally like deep Mary runs. She's so important that the very pious Catholics will just like throw Hail Marys around, you know, all willy nilly. Yeah, she used to she used to say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. That was her prayer? Yeah, that's the Hail Mary. When you pray a rosary, I it's like you pray the Our Father and you pray Hail Marys in like alternation, and I can't remember exactly how it's done. But like that's why you use rosary beads is so you can keep count. And she she's usually more important to the Catholics and to or the Orthodox churches than to the Protestant ones. The Protestant churches just kind of do less. So like they're less engaged with saints. They're less engaged with Mary. It's much more Jesus centric. I'm sorry. I have to go back to the rosary for a second. Yeah. So basically rosaries are, I'm going to mispronounce it, abacuses. I mean, they're not not that. Did I say it right? Yeah, an abacus. Yeah, abacus. Okay. Mm-hmm. You got it, girl. So they're just like basically just abacuses on string? 
Yeah, like we prayed a rosary when my grandfather died, and it's just like you, like the priest just goes, Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord is with thee, blah, blah, blah. And then he moves to the next bead, Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord is with thee. You know, like it's it's so that you can count it's so that you can pray the correct number of times i had no idea yeah but you know that's why a lot of other denominations will just have a cross on a necklace or something but the catholics in particular a rosary has beads and the beads are an important part of it they're not just for decoration i thought the beads were literally to signify like i don't know drops of blood or like something random yeah or like how many like good things you've done or how many bad things you've done like oh you've had this many sins so you've got that many beads on your rosary type no so like it was kind of like golf you wanted the least amount (laughs) (laughs) yes sinning and golf are the same yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and then so i do want to talk for a second about the worship because i i read an article that was like a catholic response to people saying that catholics just worship a pagan deity and they call her mary and they just like wrapped it up and that kind of it's a common thing i think among atheists and specifically like the kind of hostile atheists that you get in like high school boys you know where they're like did you know that everything about christianity is fake and uh, because it really is super clear that a lot of Christianity appropriated previous traditions. We've talked about that a lot in the past. And in Mary's particular case, like they call her queen of heaven often, which is how many Middle Eastern goddesses are called, like Ishtar and Astarte. Her worship in Egypt under the early Christian church may just like have to do with the traditions around the Egyptian goddess Isis. Like, this is something that they talk about at the beginning of the Da Vinci Code movie. I think that we can pretty safely say that Catholics do not worship a pagan goddess and then call her something different. But you can't deny that, you know, a lot of the tradition is built off of older traditions. It's possible, too, that some of it is just like, women and children are a very common image in human experience and that's why those images are similar you know what i mean so basically like no plagiarist type like laws get to be taken into effect here yeah because if you take plagiarism out of religion then it pretty much just becomes people hanging out which i mean i don't know i guess that wouldn't be so bad so yes let's talk about her virginity let's honestly the right of every man to talk. <laughs> yes. To talk about. <laughs> yes. And I feel really, I mean, I felt this, I felt this way several times um, in our previous episodes, but I feel really weird about being like, oh yes, let's talk about what Mary did or did not do with her pussy, especially yeah. when she was a literal child. And uh, that is like an, a central cornerstone of so many people's faith. And it's like, this is so weird. Like, did she give her permission or did, was it just like, bam, you're the chosen one. You're pregnant. Could she have said like, um, no, thank you. Or women have rights. <laughs> we will get there. We will get there once we start talking about the Bible stuff, like the, the, the stories that are actually in the Bible, because there is some dialogue. But yeah, I mean, the central question is, did she have sex after Jesus was born? Because the Bible is pretty clear that she did not have sex before Jesus was born. But did she after? The book of Matthew says that she and Joseph didn't have sex, quote unquote, until Jesus was born. But does that mean that they did or didn't do it? So in the Catholic, Lutheran, and Orthodox churches, uh, Mary is a perpetual virgin. 
She was never sullied by sex, even after Jesus was born. Okay, question. Sorry, real quick. Yeah. So doesn't that mean that their marriage wasn't consummated? I mean, if you don't consummate your marriage, like in many cultures and whatnot, it means that you're not married. Does that make sense? That's a good question. That's a really good question. I should have thought of that as I was looking at this. Um, I don't know. I don't know about the consummation aspect. I don't know in this time period and in Judaism if the consummation is as big of a deal as it is later. Okay. And maybe they just like super loved each other enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's really unclear exactly the type of relationship that Mary and Joseph have. Like, we know that he's older than she is and we know that he doesn't hate her probably but other than that we get no i don't even think that there's a single line of dialogue between them wow yeah that's disheartening well but joseph doesn't really get a lot of dialogue anyway i don't know that he gets more than a few lines and we don't see them like it's much more important their relationship with jesus than it is their relationship with each other which is a very divorced parent thing to think so who knows there are in the new testament there are several men who are described as the brothers of Jesus. And there are apparently some sisters too. And like, this ain't some random book of Acts shit. We're talking about the gospels of Mark and Matthew, but like we've talked about before, they could be cousins of Jesus. They could be friends of Jesus. Maybe Joseph had another wife and kids. Maybe even Joseph had kids from a previous marriage, but, or maybe there was some kind of polygamy because apparently that wouldn't have been completely out of the realm. OMG. Can you imagine how much that would shake up the world. Jesus' step-siblings? Or half-siblings, or I guess not half, because he has no genetic ties! Yeah, they wouldn't be related at all, yeah. Oh, yeah. (sighs) This is too much. We have to to mention, and I think that this is kind of the unspoken thing, but the idea is that there are several sects, sects, of Christianity who think that sex is a symptom of the original sin. Because remember we talked in our Adam and Eve episode about how that forbidden fruit may have been pussy. Yep. With the banana. With the banana. With the banana. The fucking banana. Mm-hmm. So sometimes Mary is referred to as the second Eve, someone who's trying to kickstart a new world because Jesus is going to change everything. And Eve, remember, she fucked up because she had sex. She, you know, ate the fruit. She got with Adam and then they got cast out of the garden. But Mary never made that mistake. She stayed the virgin and then God rewarded her with the holy baby. So she gets to she gets the chance that Eve lost. I I have feelings. Yeah, it's fucking bullshit. It's super misogynistic. Yeah. First of all, if Eve wanted to have sex, you go, girl. There should be no judgment. Absolutely. This is a pro-sex podcast. I know. But I have feelings. Yeah. So since so since Eve had sex and that was wrong, that was bad. So now Mary has to be a perpetual virgin. Well, it's not that Mary has to be. It's that Eve fell off the path and Mary stayed on the path. And that's why Mary got to have Jesus and Eve got cast out of the garden. That's the implication. Especially if you've listened to our Mary Magdalene episode, you know that the Bible is misogynistic and this anti-sex shit is only going to get worse. So brace yourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, now we get to talk about Mary's actual life story. 
This is the goods. This is what I'm this waiting for. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start with um, a piece of Apocrypha that is incredibly useful. It's called the Gospel of James. And it is from the second century. And it uh, accounts for Mary's birth and childhood. The Catholic Church officially rejects it. But it's a really big foundation of Mary's theology. A lot of the early kind of medieval traditions are based around the Gospel of James, even though it didn't make the cut into the Bible. So in this gospel, her parents are named Joachim and Anne. And it says that Anne was old and infertile when Mary was born. Where does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Sarah. Mm-hmm. And Mary is born after only seven months of gestation. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that like it's just like the miraculousness of like she was born seven is a magical number and she was born early but I don't know her parents want to dedicate her life to God because obviously her mom was old and infertile and she was born after seven months instead of the normal nine so when she's three years old they apparently have her sent to the temple and an angel feeds her every day she just lives in the temple this is what this book says (laughs) an angel feeds her every day Oh, yeah. it's probably because they already know she's the one. Right. Mm-hmm. And just to be clear, there's like a 0% chance that that happened. It would be so weird to have a girl living in the sacred spaces, specifically in like the tabernacle. This is like an Exodus conversation that we'll probably have later. But suffice to say, where God lives in the temple, like girls don't just like chill there. Like it's a very, you have to be a priest and you have to be of a certain rank and blo- like there are rules here. So, like, get in line, Mary. Yeah. Who do you think you are? She's so special. The birth of our religious sovereign? I think not. I think not. You're still just a girl. She's just a girl, but she lives in the tabernacle. So, when Mary turns 12, uh, her menstrual blood makes the temple unclean. So, she can't live there anymore. Oh, my God. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. That was inevitable. So she gets shipped off to this widower, Joseph, so that he can be her guardian. Is this the Joseph? Yeah, that's Joseph Joseph. So that was supposed to be like her protector and said he was like, you know what? You be my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, he, she needs a guardian. She needs someone to protect her now that she's old enough that she can. Bear so her. her guardian, an authority figure... Okay, I have feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is how it worked. Like, you get you get to be the right age, and it's like, cool, well, you need a man to protect you and to, you know, put food on your table. Mm-hmm. And she didn't have brothers or anything. Yeah, because she she was such an exception because her parents were so old. And, you know, I don't want to be viewed as a defender of these, like, ridiculous misogynistic lifestyle things, but the initial part of these structures is to oppress women and to control them. But the other part of these structures is that this way she isn't a, you know, 12 year old girl on her own, just like trying to make it in the world. Mm -hmm. Right. And this society is such that that is what she would be if she didn't submit to this structure. Fair point. And it's not like she was about to be given to like the townsfolk for like a mass raping. Yeah, gang rape. Yeah, it wasn't a Sodom and Gomorrah situation. Right. See episode 11. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so apparently Joseph has no interest in her sexually. So while he's away on business, she's at the temple, you know, doing temple things. And an angel comes to her with the news that she will have Jesus. 
It's going to be like a huge controversy that she got pregnant while Joseph was gone, but her chastity is proven by the ordeal of the bitter waters. Put a pin in that for later. We're going to get into it. But What is that? Is that like an alcoholic drink? <laughs> suffice to say right now that the ordeal of bitter waters proved that Mary did not have sex. Okay. So anyway, skip forward a bit. I have so many things running through my mind. Yes. Oh, yeah. And you're going to have more mm-hmm. once we finish this story. But so the skip forward a bit. Mary's pregnant. The Romans require a census. And so Joseph and Mary have to travel to Bethlehem, which is apparently Joseph's hometown. But Mary goes into labor before they arrive. All of this is in the Bible. But in uh, this apocryphal story in the Gospel of James, they stop in a cave. Instead of a manger? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hold on. I just want to go back a minute. So Joseph and Mary, it sounds like they don't they don't love each other. He had no interest in her, sounds like. And But he was like, okay, I'll marry you. Yeah, but it's kind of one of those things where marriage is not about love mm-hmm. necessarily for, I mean, it's kind of a, a partnership situation and not necessarily a lover romantic situation. Okay. I think it would make a lot of sense, especially like we were talking about, if the societal structure is meant so that men are protecting the women and they can get babies out of it and women get protection out of it. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's not a, a t- well, it's a very unequal deal, but that's mm-hmm. the way that it's supposed to work. And I don't think that love necessarily has anything to do with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. What? Love got to do, got to do with it. We're so musical. But a second-hand emotion. What's love? Okay. Okay. The world stops as Mary is in the cave, and Joseph goes and gets two midwives. What do you mean by the world stops? Like, literally, it stops turning? Yeah, apparently. Mm. It's a bit vague. Interesting. But so he goes and gets the midwives and he just leaves Mary in labor in a fucking cave, like whatever. But so he brings them up and they stand at the mouth of the cave and this huge cloud appears and everything gets dark. And then there's a bright light and a baby just appears at Mary's breast. Wait, You can tell that a fucking man wrote this because it skips over all the gross parts of childbirth. Oh my god. I was like, I wish it were that easy. Oh, look, a baby. <laughs> and just, and also, with all those women who, like, like cannot get the baby to, like, suckle at the breast. And then all of a sudden, she's just like, not only was it a great birth, but now she, Jesus just takes the breast perfectly. Yeah. Like, look at how he latched. Yeah. This has been the best birthing process ever. She's like, I'm having more. This was yeah, easy. Yeah. And then for her to remain a virgin and not keep having more babies, like, fuck you, Mary. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, and and remember that the flash of light, this is from the Apocrypha. The actual Gospels don't have anywhere near this amount of detail, and there's certainly no flash of light. And I also think it's interesting that Eve's births were just painful and horrible. Oh, yeah, that that's a her, good point. But then Mary's was like, oh. Flash of light. Yeah. There's my Heather. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point, Heather. I'm on a roll, man. You are, oh my man. god. God, you should wear flannel pajamas every time we record. I think I will. My flannel pajamas and my wine. I'm good. So Joseph and the first midwife are amazed, but the second midwife is like, hmm, something's fishy. And so she tries to examine Mary. And when she reaches for her, her hand withers for lack of faith. Oh. <laughs> 
shit. Oh my god. Yeah. Mary's like, don't touch my fucking child. Yeah. Nor my vagina. Right? It's like, get your hand out of there. But after she prays to God, and an angel comes and tells her to touch Jesus, and that fixes her hand. Interesting. And then the story after that kind of dovetails with the other gospel stories. Uh, but like, you know, the, the details around the pregnancy and birth, like it's a series of just miracles, like the world stops and it gets dark, flash of light, latching immediately. Like this is this is the perfect example of kind of hybrid Jesus in the Apocrypha. You get a lot of um, details, like with the ordeal of the bitter waters, which we'll talk about in just a second. We talk about her menstrual blood. Like, that's a very specific, like, the fact that you, she gets a period and that's in the story. Like, that's a very human thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it talks about her going into labor. But then when push comes to shove, Jesus comes in a series of miracles. So we get, he did come in a human body, but God damn, he had so much power in him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we're going to talk about the ordeal of the bitter waters. And this was so weird i this was like a serious stumbling block in my research just because all of the resources on it are super bizarre it it stops being done in the first century so it never really becomes a christian practice it's more of a judaic practice that is mostly in the years bc but it's a way to determine if a woman specifically has been adulterous when there are no witnesses right so no one is like i saw her you know run off with so and so And so what they would do is, and this is in the book of Numbers, they would have the woman untie her hair and expose her heart and maybe her boobs, but like maybe they would tie it so that her boobs weren't necessarily showing. And the man who is accusing her, so her husband, makes an offering of barley meal. I don't really, to the temple, I guess. And they give her a drink of water and the drink of water is mixed with dust from the floor of the tabernacle, which is in the temple. So it's holy dust. And they also put a scroll with a curse on it into the water. The temple is destroyed by Rome, by the way, in the first century. So like, you can't really do this without a temple. So that's part of the reason why they they stopped doing this. But the idea is that once a woman drinks this water, if she has been adulterous, her belly will swell, her thigh will rupture, and she may die. (laughs) And of course, we know that thigh is a euphemism. So that probably means her uterus or vulva in some way so it sounds like it's like an abortion or a miscarriage so her vagina will explode yeah like your like your uterus will rupture and you'll bleed out did you just say excellent because i'm horrified oh yeah no in in a very sarcastic way i'm like literally i wish this is the only these moments are when I wish that we were recording ourselves because I'm like literally sitting here like, what the fuck? How are there millions or billions of people on this earth that believe this shit? I'm sorry, but it reminds me of the, like the witch trials. Yes. This is, this is the type of passage that you look at like the inquisition later and you're like, Oh yeah. 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 This is how you guys are so horrible. Mm -hmm. Well, let's, well, and, Appropriate disclaimers, the Gospel of James is apocryphal, so the ordeal of the waters is not in the canonical gospel. Okay, just because they edited it later on doesn't mean that they get to like not have to pay for what was written. And also, I don't think it's in the New Testament at all, so this is primarily a much more ancient 
thing from an age when they really didn't have any kind of medicine. I don't know. I, I would disassociate this from most forms of mainline Christianity, though. But yeah, I mean, I uh, fuck it. I'm not going to defend it. It's fucking terrible and it's brutal. But I would say that this is not uh, one of the cornerstones of Christian practice so much as it is a historical Jewish law that made the cut into the Old Testament. Of course. I'm not, ex- like you said, they're not currently doing it. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying like this, I don't know. It ju- it's just one of those things where, again, words are dictating people's actions throughout history and it's just as sad. Yeah. Well, and for the people who view the Bible as the literal truth and all of the laws in the Bible need to be obeyed word for word, the people who are like, well, Leviticus is very specifically anti-gay. And it's like, are you going to look at the book of Numbers and give a woman water and hope that her uterus explodes for that? Like how yeah. <laughs> the zealotry of your interpretation of the laws has to account for the fact that some of these are A, pseudoscientific and B, just ridiculous, misogynistic traps. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Bastards. And so it, it really seems, too, like like it's an abortion. Uh, and if so, where is the abortifacient, right? Like, it seems like this is pretty supernatural. But we know that being pregnant is just dangerous in general, and it was even more dangerous in the ancient world. So it might be one of those things where, you know, a woman drinks the potion and if she just has a miscarriage, then they conclude that she, you know, was adulterous. If nothing happens, she's innocent. So that's good. I mean, it's literally. And so then what is it like? Why isn't God like, you know what? You guys made me her drink this and that could have put Jesus's life in danger. Or is it because it was a, gift from god and she didn't have sex and therefore like jesus is immune the idea is it won't hurt the baby jesus if she wasn't adulterous and she wasn't so it'll be fine remember there's no science in here wait did they make her drink this after he was born or before i think it would have been before it would have been before born but it would have been where when joseph was on his little business trip and then he comes home and she's like Ooh, so there's this thing that happened while you were gone Mm -hmm. and it's called impregnation of my womb. (laughs) Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's the ordeal of the bitter waters. Okay. I love it's just like such like a not like it's a way more horrifying thing than just bitter water. I think that's where I'm, like, getting hung up. I'm like, bitter waters sounds like a weird, like, cocktail mix-in. Like, get the bitters. <laughs> yeah. And it's, like, literally abortion juice. Only abortion juice if you've been bad. Right. But who are you to say that what I do is bad? Uh, well, it's God who's saying. I know. And back at you, God. <laughs> <laughs> who are you to say? Who are you to say? Tara will treat God if she ever meets her the way that I will treat Queen Elizabeth, where it's like, if I ever meet that bitch, I'm calling her Liz and I'm <laughs> extending my hand for her to shake it. You know, I, I would love to see that. I know. I just feel like I would be like, listen here, God, Yahweh, <laughs> like, come here. Let's have coffee. Mm-hmm. Ha- you've just been sitting up on that cloud, man. Like some, some yeah. bad shit's happened. 
Okay, so we're going to get into the actual canon Bible now. Okay, let's do it. So her background in the Bible is super kind of nothing. <laughs> the, go- the Gospel of John says that she has a sister. It's kind of unclear exactly which woman that would be. Wait, how could she have a sister if she was such like a weird miracle? Yeah. Because the weird miracle is Apocrypha. <sighs> and also it's unclear if sister is literal or not in or the Gospel of John. Or if it's cousin or if it's oh, friend. Right. They're all brothers and sisters. Yeah. And it could be her sister-in-law. Is sister-in-law, also that's right. But then sister-in-law would... Oh, that means it could have been Joseph's sister. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I wanted to I wanted to mention this detail because this is the state of the discourse around the Virgin Mary's background. She may have had a sister and it may have been, you know, Mary, the wife of Clopas, but like, we have no idea. So it's kind of like with current celebrities, the paparazzi kind of follows you around. And every time you have lunch with someone, there's a headline that's like, secret lovers eat lunch in secret. <laughs> like, we we can draw wild conclusions from these like ridiculously small interactions because we have so little information. And it's just like Jesus. She's kind of an object that we talk about in abstract terms, and we're not really interested in getting to know her personally. Except for me. Except for us. Yeah. Uh, she does seem to have been from a reasonably prestigious bloodline because she seems to be related to John the Baptist's mother, and John the Baptist's mother is from the tribe of Levi and descended from King David. Joseph, for his part, his lineage is described in the Bible in two different ways, and both times he's also descended from King David. So Jesus's mom and his stepdad are both the descendants of King David, even though they are not necessarily royal now. Okay. We And like we touched on this before, but isn't it weird how much we care about Joseph's lineage if he's not Jesus's dad? Yeah, I mean, is it like this whole thing of like if like basically being like a father figure to him? I mean, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. So, in the Bible, Mary lives in this town called Nazareth in Galilee, probably with her parents, and she's betrothed to this carpenter named Joseph. Uh it was apparently customary for Jewish betrothals to last for 1 year. And so she probably would have been 12 to 14 when she was betrothed. But while she is betrothed, the angel Gabriel appears. To your question earlier, I have no idea why it's Mary as opposed to anyone else. Like, I don't think that there's ever really a satisfactory explanation for that. Not one that I can think of. Mm. She's just kind of special for some reason. And that's part of the reason why in the Gospel of James, she's associated with all these extra miracles, right? It's like, well, God chose her. She must have something special. Maybe, Maybe she, she was a miracle of God. Right. Because her mom was old and couldn't have babies. And then, ha! Ah, right, exactly. Maybe God said, hey, we're going to have her mom have a baby, and that's going to be my son's mom. I don't know. Yeah. You know, there's a plan. Mm-hmm. There's a plan, yeah, in theory. So I actually want to read the passage. It's a little long, but bear with me. So this is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. 
But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come to you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So Elizabeth is her relative, and Elizabeth's child is John the Baptist. Hmm. Okay. But you'll notice how little characterization we get from Mary in that passage. Can I? Hold on. Uh, okay. I feel like I'm having a stupid moment. But I thought you guys explained to me that the Holy Spirit is something different. Different from what? Like, I thought the Holy Spirit was like its own entity. Like it wasn't like it wasn't God. Yeah. Or you mean like Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. the Christian Trinity maintains that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are each distinct beings, but that they are all one God. They're just different versions of God? Kind of. Like different faces almost. Okay, like the angel with the multiple faces? I mean, not not that. I love when you answer that to me. Um, <laughs> I speak in riddles. Yeah. Okay, so I guess my whole thing is like, is Jesus really the son of God if he's the if the Holy Spirit's who impregnated? It feels to me, and gosh, I really need to do more research into the Trinity as an entity. It's super like theologically complicated, yeah. but it's kind of like God is in heaven. Jesus, the son, is the ambassador to earth. And then the Holy Spirit is kind of the errand boy. Okay. Is kind of, but they are all the same being. It's just like if you stretched out that same being across the three different levels and then each level developed its kind of hub. So it looks like one long line with three circles on it. Okay. So, That's how I think of it anyway. I don't know how real that is from I mean, a Christian theological perspective. That makes sense. I'll take it. Yeah. And it's weird and it's complicated. And I think a lot of Christians also struggle to kind of explain all of the nuanced details of it. But there are a lot of passages like this where the Holy Spirit does things and people talk about, oh, the Holy Spirit, blah, blah, blah. The exact status of Jesus, and this is kind of goes to what I was saying before about how holy is Jesus and how human is Jesus. Is Jesus God or is Jesus the son of God is also kind of one of those things that gets fudged in some of the details. And the thought process is that that's all one in the same. Yeah, so it's both. I always thought of Jesus as well. I have two thoughts on Jesus, but one thought was um, he's he's a human, but God is within him because God wants to experience the human. What's the word I'm looking for? Human, human experience. experience. Yeah. Take a walk on the wild side. Yeah, and I, I think that that fits into Christian theology in general. Again, it's just weird. <laughs> but yeah, is there anything else like that you notice in this in this passage? Again, we have Gabriel showing up to Mary, and Mary is greatly troubled at his words and is like, the fuck? 
I, I don't like that she says like that she was scared, mm-hmm. like, oh shit. Like But that's how most people respond to angels in the Bible. The angels are always saying, be not afraid, like fucking chill. Hmm. I guess if an angel came to me, I'd be like, This is it. This is my time <laughs> to shine. <laughs> like do, do not be afraid, my child. <laughs> and I'd be like, Afraid of what? Like, you're a fucking angel. Like, this is great. Whoa. <laughs> Like, well, first of all, you're probably not going to say no to the angel Gabriel anyway. Yeah, wasn't he scary? Um, Yeah, according to the book of Daniel, that one depiction of him that I really like, where it talks about how his face is like lightning and his eyes are like torches and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. He's supposed to be really overwhelming. Yeah, and that was Gabriel. I would be afraid. Yeah, fuck yeah. Mm -hmm. They're like beings of pure light or, you know, something similar. So it's it's weird. And you notice that she has three kind of stages to this particular scene. You, we have Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And then he's like, blah, blah, blah. You found favor with God. You're going to have his kid. And she said, how will this be since I am a virgin? And then he you know, explains, blah, blah, blah. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. So she's like, well, I don't, I don't want to do this. And then he's like, oh no, you're going to. And she's like, what am I doing? (laughs) And then he says it and she's like, yes, daddy. Mm -hmm. And then he's gone. So she has, even in this part where she receives like a reasonable amount of characterization, she has spoken lines. You don't actually learn very much about her. She's just very, very passive. I was just gonna say, except that she's passive and really just doesn't stick up for herself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like she had no choice one way or the other. I agree. It's interesting because, especially when you compare this to the Gospel of James, we have some form of birth control, abortifacient kind of thing that she's been given. And then later on, we have a man who assigns her a baby. And it's very controlled reproductive rights. Which, obviously, you can guess that that's going to happen because it's the Bible. But when you put it into context like that, it's still like, this is very nakedly like, controlling her Hmm. it doesn't seem like she has a lot of choice is this like handmaiden's tale uh not as much as other passages in the bible are but we're on that right track (laughs) yes oh yes so in matthew joseph plans to call the wedding off because mary is pregnant but an angel comes to him in a dream and convinces him to stick it out yeah like come on man just just do it. Mm. Come on, you cuck. Raise someone else's kid. Right. And it's important, too, that in the Christian theology, she is a virgin. The Holy Spirit impregnates her, but the Holy Spirit does so by a miracle. The Holy Spirit does not have sex with her. Like Zeus. Yeah, so he, like, skips a step, goes straight to the uterus. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, hey. <laughs> I think there are a couple of other religions or branches of religions where god has sex with mary to impregnate her where jesus is still god's kid but like sex happens and in in the christian theology sex does not happen absolutely not at this stage well because if sex did happen then she wouldn't be the virgin mary right yeah the idea would be that if god fucks you then it doesn't Mm -hmm. count Mm -hmm. yeah i mean if that hymen is broken can't mend it yeah yeah. But if she could just keep drinking bitter waters and having her fun too, 
like yeah. in terms of, yeah like, that's the interesting thing about the bitter waters is that it seems that you're just drinking water that is kind of dirty and um as long as you don't have a miscarriage you're probably fine but i don't know you there was no birth control if you were having any sex you're liable to get pregnant and if you get pregnant you're liable to have a miscarriage and die so two truths and a lie i guess yeah yeah you just kind of make it work in the Gospel of Mark, which is the Gospel written first, and the Gospel of John, which is the Gospel written last, there is no mention of a virgin birth. They introduce Jesus as an adult. The Gospel of Luke is the one that is the most explicit. He talks about Jesus' birth being foretold by angels, and he's divine, and Mary has this dialogue with Gabriel and stuff. The other Gospels seem much more preoccupied with Jesus like being a person and doing his work and coming back from the dead. Okay. But speaking of Luke, you know, caring a lot about Jesus's birth, let's get festive. Okay. Okay. <laughs> because Luke is also the primary source for the nativity story. Um, the gospel of Matthew also has some stuff, but like it, it's very different and it's got much less detail about specifically the birth stuff. And so Luke describes there's a census of Judean citizens. This is what I mentioned before when I was talking about the Gospel of James. So the what the Gospel of Luke says is that there's a man in Syria who's the governor, and his name is Quirinius, which is Professor Quirrell's name in Harry Potter, by the way, for some reason. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that Love call. I tie it into Harry Potter. Love you so much, Mike. So apparently Quirinius issues this decree that's like everyone has to go to their hometown to be registered this is how we're going to do the census so joseph has to go to his hometown of bethlehem uh and there are some pretty serious issues about the dating of this because the gospel of luke says that it's under quirinius and king herod but king herod had been dead for nine years like the timeline is all wrong so it's almost certainly not true the way that it happened just because there were a lot of roman records but so they so Jesus does get born. We know that Mary was pregnant when this census thing happened. And Matthew places them in Bethlehem, but with no other details. So in the Gospel of Matthew, it's just like they're in Bethlehem. But Luke has the whole thing where they arrive in Bethlehem and there's no room at the inn. So Jesus has to sleep in a manger, which is that like nativity scene, that like farm scene where there's like a cow in the background and Mary is there like praying on her knees and Jesus is in the manger. The sheep and ox kept time. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, and apparently it was like a thing that when you would go to these other towns, you would stay with family, but it sounds like tons of people were moving around. So it sounds like if they were trying to stay with Joseph's family, there was just like no space for them that all of the floor was occupied or whatever. So yeah, apparently they sleep in a fucking barn and that's where Jesus is born in the gospel of Luke. So was Mary from Bethlehem as well? Or you just go to your husband's hometown? You go to your husband's hometown. I don't know that we ever find out where Mary is from. Nazareth. Well, they live in Nazareth as Jesus grows up. That's why he's called Jesus of Nazareth. But I don't know that she's from there. But I thought that you said in the beginning that that's where she lived with her family. Oh, that's right. She she lived with her parents. You try to act like I don't pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, you're right. You're right, though. So perhaps she was born in Nazareth. So she probably went home after she had that baby and was like, Mom! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there is zero mention of Jesus' grandparents. 
by the way. I mean, they were probably dead. They were so old when they had Mary, supposedly. Okay. In Apocrypha. In Apocrypha. (laughs) This manger scene is where we get the song Away in a Manger. Because it, the song goes, away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky look down where he lay. As a side note, I do have a cult song. Ugh. This isn't really a cult song because we didn't learn it at camp or in Sunday school. But my mom always used to sing this song that was a lullaby. And I, I won't sing the whole thing because it's kind of long. But the end of it goes, sleep in comfort, sleep in joy. Mary's darling little boy. And obviously it's about Jesus, right? It's Mary's darling little boy. When my sister heard that song, there was this one time when my mom was singing it to her and it was like, sleep in comfort, sleep in joy. Mary's darling little. And then Emily goes, girl. (laughs) And my mom was like, um, because my mom's name is Mary. She was like, um, and Emily was like, oh, I thought that song was about Mike. Mary's darling little boy. Mom's like, Jesus was a a boy. (laughs) Oh. That's amazing. So, yeah. The Gospel of Luke is also the one where we get angels go to a bunch of shepherds who are nearby, and the angels announce the birth. And so the shepherds then show up to see the baby and to, you know, rejoice in what the angels said. And there's this one passage that I think is really beautiful and that we'll touch on later in our art review. Luke chapter two, verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. So, you know, the shepherds like pour in and they're like freaking out and they're like, look at this fucking kid. Like angels told us how important he is. Like, that's so cool. And Mary just kind of like, I picture her just sitting back and kind of folding her hands and being like, isn't this nice? (laughs) It's this very like kind of, I don't know. It's like an intimate scene. Mm -hmm. But she's the proud mama. The story of the star where there's a giant star in the sky that marks where Jesus is and people follow it to find Jesus. The star is not in that gospel of Luke where Jesus is in the manger. That one is only in the gospel according to Matthew. And so it's weird that we kind of hybridize. The The Bible is so full of contradictions. The gospel of Matthew says nothing about a manger. It says nothing about livestock or, you know, barns or anything like that. It just says they're in Bethlehem. The gospel of Luke has a bunch of manger stuff and the gospel of Matthew has a star above Bethlehem. And so we, in the kind of popular lore, smash them together where it's like, Jesus is in a manger. The manger is in a barn. There's a star overhead. And that's not really how the story is laid out. Why is everyone talking about the big star right now? That is another thing that I wanted to say, because the big thing that's happening right now apparently hasn't happened in a thousand years, I think. It's that Saturn and Jupiter are going to be really close together, and so they're going to look really bright in the night sky, which would be a Christmas star. And so one of the kind of popular ideas is that the the star in the Gospel of Matthew is this same event, is Saturn and Jupiter being close together in the sky. Hmm. I don't know if it was a thousand years ago or 1200 years ago or something, but and that's happening on the 21st, I believe. But they're saying that it's the same type of star that would have been above Jesus. Like, why are they calling it the Christmas star? Well, just because it's a once in a lifetime, super bright star situation. Hmm. 
Okay. And in December on the winter solstice, I think. Mm-hmm. Because one of the theories about, uh, I think we mentioned Saturnalia earlier, is that the winter solstice celebration became the Jesus birthday celebration. And so it's possible that Jesus was born at a different time of year. Some people think that he was born in the spring. Cue Heather. But they moved it. Yeah. And that, you know, that has some merit to it. Okay. So in the gospel of Matthew only, King Herod hears word that there is a king of the Jews just born. And he figures that that doesn't bode well for him because you will remember that his name is King Herod. So an angel ends up warning Joseph to take Mary and Jesus and escape. Uh, They run off to Egypt because Herod is looking for them. And Herod orders all the boys in Bethlehem be killed. It's called the uh, Massacre of the Innocents. And they don't go back to Nazareth until Herod dies. Okay, that's crazy. All the baby boys or just all the boys? Um, I think it's all the boys up to age like three. Mm. Wow. Damn. Yeah. Arthur would be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know it's about it's about feeling threatened you know your your legitimacy as king will be threatened and it's like you gotta fucking stave off those risks hmm. so after jesus is born according to luke because again all of that stuff with king herod only happens in matthew but according to luke mary observes the ritual cleanliness period and she goes to the temple in jerusalem to make offerings because jesus has been born not sure how this interacts with the uh, Egypt timeline. Not sure if that's before or after Egypt or whatever. But if she goes to the temple for all of this stuff, like she's definitely an observant Jew. She might even be pious. Like it sounds like she might have a lot of religion to her. It's important the episode where they go to the temple because this is when a man named Simeon shows up. Ooh, ooh that sounds important. So he's truly only there for a hot sec. I don't think that he does anything except for this one scene in the Bible. But apparently the Holy Spirit had told Simeon that he would not die until he saw the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, blah, blah, blah. And so he wanders up to Mary and he sees baby Jesus and he says that he can die now. This is apparently a huge moment in Mary like lore because it's the moment when someone, like specifically a human, like not Gabriel, says this fucking kid is going to be a huge deal. Like this dude has been waiting to die until he sees my baby. And he's clearly in touch with God on like a couple different levels. And so this means, this means that my baby has like a lot, a lot in store for him. Like maybe I hallucinated that Gabriel thing, but this is another source being like, uh Oh, wow. Um, so then Mary is a pretty key figure in the only event of Jesus's adolescence in the new testament so this is in luke chapter two uh mary joseph and jesus go to the festival of passover in jerusalem and so jesus is 12 remember that mary was 12 when she had jesus god mary and joseph forget jesus by accident because they all go they go to passover it's a great big party everyone like flocks in from you know from far-flung towns and then they're headed out and they forget him in Jerusalem. Oh my God. <laughs> they travel a full day without realizing it. How can you travel a day not realizing you don't have your child with you? In their defense, it sounds like they're traveling with like a bunch of friends and relatives. 
So it might be that they were, you know, this giant caravan of people and they were all like, you know, I thought you had Jesus. Oh, wait, was he not with Aunt Rebecca? You know what I mean? Like Home Alone all over again. Yes, it's exactly like Home Alone. It's Jerusalem alone. Oh, my God. Or like, like modernize it just a smidgen and be like, you're on the Oregon Trail and you like left him back. (laughs) Like you're getting at the last hitching post. Yeah. Jesus has dysentery. (laughs) Yes. And you're like, oh, God. We got to wade that river again. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So once they notice, they head back to the city and they start looking for him frantically. Okay, hold on. Just, I'm sorry. I missed this part. Is this in the Bible or is this more Apophrica? No, this is fully in the Bible. This This is is in the Bible. (laughs) Oh yeah. I could read you the exact text if you wanted. (laughs) Oh my God. This is why this book. (laughs) is just amazing. And again, this is the only time that we see anything younger than an adult Jesus. Like this is the only adolescent story. And it's his parents fucking left him. Like remember how that happened to you at some point in your childhood? Yes. Jerusalem. What a town. One time my mom told me she would be the next aisle over in a Kmart and I was frantic and I found an employee and I was like, I lost my mom. I lost my mom. I lost my mom. She's tall. She has short hair. So she looks like a boy. (laughs) They paged her on the overcome. And my mom was like, I was in the next aisle. I was like six or seven. Oh my God. I can't, I don't have any memory of my parents ever. The only thing that I remember is one time my mom didn't pick me up from school and it was like almost seven o'clock and the (gasps) principal was like, uh, and I was calling my mom. It was like right when cell phones became a thing and I was calling my mom's cell phone like crazy. And I was like, I guess I could walk to my friend's house. And they were like, no, we probably shouldn't let you do that. And then my mom comes peeling into the parking lot of school and she was because somebody like tried to run like i guess like cut her off or something and my mom chased the person for like three hours oh my god (laughs) and my mom finally was like i decided to let them go because i couldn't (laughs) get them to pull over and finally come get you tara (laughs) i took an l for you tara i remember my mom forgot me one time she she had five kids and I don't know. I remember I was like all bundled up in my coat sitting on the kitchen counter and she loaded everyone up in the car and like left. I'm just sitting there all alone. I don't know how long I was sitting there all by myself. And then she like later at the tournament realized that I wasn't in the car and came back and got me. That's adorable. But anyway, so yes, uh, they, they left Jesus. Uh, They left him in Jerusalem. And so Once they notice, they head back to the city, and after three days, they find him in the temple with the teachers. Just, you know, like, chilling, chatting, asking questions. Apparently, he's super low-key about it. Everyone's, like, super impressed, because this kid just seems really smart, and he seems like he understands stuff really well. He seems to understand, like, scripture, and he challenges things in really smart ways. And apparently, as soon as they find him, Mary is like, why are you doing this to us? We've been like specifically looking for you and you're just like chilling here. You're not trying to find us back or anything. And Jesus says, why were you searching for me? Why didn't you think I'd be in my father's house? But nobody really understands what the fuck that means. I'm at dad's place. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's dad's weekend. (laughs) Dad's weekend. And so then verse 51, so he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. 
so she seems to kind of get it like she gets that jesus is special she seems to understand like I was looking frantically like I should have been smarter about it. He's so smart. It's it's like when your kid is a freaking genius and you're like, well, why didn't you do, you know, I, I was looking for you everywhere. And he's like, well, of course I went to the safest place. Like I'm not an idiot. And it's like, oh, I didn't think that you'd be smart enough to go to the safest place. Mm-hmm. Which is also kind of condescending, by the way. It's very like, well, Mary didn't really get it, but Jesus did. But it also portrays her as a very loving parent. Yeah. Like, right. oh, yeah. Well, Aside from the fact that she left him, she left him for a day. Right. Yeah, and like, and here's why I'm sick in the head. I'm like, did they make the whole caravan turn around, or was it just Mary and Joseph? That does not. They, they do not say. Because, could you imagine being part of that caravan, and then like three days you're searching for this kid, and then he just walks out of the house and he's like, "What? Yeah, fucking Miriam can't keep her kid around." Yeah. And it's like, what? You guys were the ones dumb enough not to look here <laughs> first. Like, of course right. I'd be here. Or the yeah. fact that you left me in the first place. Yeah, right. Mm. So uh, then later, it, at one point in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus's family is outside of a house. And there's this crowd that's gathered because they've heard that he's been casting out demons. So everyone's kind of gathered around to see the celebrity. And they, the family sends someone to bring him out so that they can, so they can hang out with him and see him and talk to him and everything. And Jesus is like, family, the people around me are my family. Everyone who does God's will is my family. So like this particular like little tidbit is super interesting because it's the transition from that gifted kid who got left behind in Jerusalem and was like, yeah, no, I have this under control. And he moves into being this epic figure, right? Where he's like, I am a part of greater things. You know, the fact that my mother birthed me is irrelevant to the cosmic universe. Itty bitty living space. So, you know, it, it, it must have been really hard for Mary to watch her son become such a huge political, religious celebrity overnight. It's almost as if he'd never really truly belonged to her. Yeah. Yeah. And even if she knew that that was the case in advance, even if Gabriel and Simeon had told her, it would still be really hard to live through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And then Mary is at the crucifixion. And you can only imagine what that would be like. I mean, or was she like cool with it because she knew that it was like in God's plans? I mean, perhaps, but if she, you know, yeah, no, Mm-mm. I think that, but I think that the way that she handled Jesus being left in Jerusalem, where she, you know, found him and immediately scolded him and then was like, oh no, he is special. I feel like that Mary is someone who, even if she felt like it was for something bigger, like she still would really suffer. And again, crucifixion is so brutal. I was going to say, just seeing your child suffer in such a manner would be excruciating. And hung up in public. I know. Yeah. But I mean, I also like cannot tell you the wrath of like hell that I would take upon the earth if something like that happened to my son. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so like, just her like being there at the crucifixion and then like it not being like a whole chapter of the hellfire she rained down to me just seems like kind of weird. But we know that Mary is so passive. 
Right. That's what I mean. Is like, was she just like chewing the inside of her mouth or was she like wailing in the streets? We don't know. Mm. I mean, it's, it's really interesting that you say, you know, the hellfire that she would unleash. I definitely feel the same way, but not necessarily about Jesus being killed. I feel like it would be interesting to see how Mary responds to the movement that Jesus has generated with him gone. You know what I mean? Because there's nothing or there's very little that you can do against Rome as an individual. But part of the appeal of Jesus was that he was a political anti-imperialist. And as an anti-imperialist, that is against Rome. And Romans are the ones who killed him. And it also has a bunch of religious stuff going on, this movement. But um, it it's super possible to me that she is a really major figure in early Christianity, even though like the sources are really uncertain on exactly how that would have gone. It's really hard for me to imagine that she watched her son live this incredible life and then thought, wow, better let all this political and spiritual momentum die. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I know that we had this conversation about Mary Magdalene uh, and how Mary Magdalene seems to have been a very active member of the early church after Jesus's death. I, I don't know, man. I feel like the Virgin Mary probably would have been similarly active like it wouldn't make sense to me that she would just stop yeah like she would take it upon her that her job now is to carry on the story and even if she isn't you know evangelizing to people and doing all the active stuff that mary magdalene probably did even if the virgin mary was like the mom of the group who Everybody, all the rebels are going to come to my house for dinner. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to pass out pamphlets and like shout on a soapbox in the village square so that people will listen to me, but I'm going to make sure that everybody is clothed and everybody is fed. And I'm going to do this like wifely submissive role that I'm clearly cut out for because this misogyny has molded me in this way. And I'm going to use that, that person that I've become for good. And I like that idea. Yeah. No, I agree. So there's a theory based on the Gospel of John that she lived out the rest of her days in Ephesus in Turkey. John says that she goes to live with the disciple who Jesus loved, which is generally agreed to be John. And later authors wrote that John went to Ephesus. So that's why people think that Mary went there. But as we know from the Mary Magdalene episode, the disciple who Jesus loved is sometimes known as Mary Magdalene instead of John. So it's like who took care of Mary as she aged. Yeah, I think it was Mary Magdalene. We all know that that's what you were going to say. Well, and I like that idea really well, too. Like these these women like watching out for each other, kicking ass, taking names. Mm-hmm. Well, Mary Magdalene kicking ass and the Virgin Mary like cleaning uh, Mary Magdalene's clothes of all the blood. Like, oh, sweetie, you get into so many scrapes. Yeah. <laughs> Like, if only you and Jesus could have just made that work. (laughs) (laughs) Mary's death is not recorded in the Bible, but the tradition, especially in the Catholic and the Orthodox churches, is that she ascended into heaven in a bodily assumption like Jesus. So she never died. She took, you know, the light elevator to heaven. She's just like, you know what? I'm good. Let's take that elevator. Yeah. Yeah. Hippolytus of Thebes, who's a Byzantine historian, said that she lived 11 years after Jesus died. So if she was about 13 when Jesus was born and Jesus lived to be 33, then you add 11 years. That puts her death or assumption at age 57. 
Well, that was young. I mean, it's a pretty full life for those days. You live to be, you know, 45. Yeah. Jeez. But there, of course, would be no body. Um, there aren't any, like, bones attributed to her or anything because the tradition is that she elevated away. I mean, do you think it was an elevator or do you think it was, like, an escalator? Because of, like, stairway to heaven. So do you think it was, like, an escalator? I got nothing, man. She, she went to the sky. I think it was more like Luke Skywalker. I don't know what that means. Oh, like fading? You didn't see the new Star Wars? You didn't see that? I kept falling asleep in him. He basically just fades yeah, away. Yeah, he's like sitting on a rock and he just kind of, yeah, just kind of faded away. Ew. And there was no body. All right. Yeah. It, it, it looked very peaceful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to go messy. That's all <laughs> I know. <laughs> You're Mary Magdalene in this scenario. Yeah. You want to go out in flames, man. Yeah. I want there to be like a, whoo, that was rough. <laughs> yeah. What a ride. What a ride. So uh, anyway, this assumption into heaven, it's one of the four major dogmas about Mary in Catholicism. The first one is that she is the Theotokos, the mother of God. The second one is that she had perpetual virginity. She never did lose it. Must have been a very boring life. The third one is the miraculous conception. And the fourth one is that she um, had her assumption into heaven. Hmm. Okay. Get it, Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want, just before we do our art review, I want to touch base on these like kind of psychosexual questions for lack of a better word. Like I think there's something really to be said about Mary as a, as a figure, because we see this Holy surrogate kind of figure, just like Hagar in the Abraham story. There's this really common theme in the Bible of holy people, not having their own kids. Like you just delegate to someone who's holy and they'll just be a sideshow in your main movie. Interesting. It's this very condescending view of women, I think, where, like, having kids is a woman problem. We'll just assign a woman. Mm -hmm. We'll just, like, shove that off on someone else. It's this real weird women are objects kind of thing. Yeah, I guess that's interesting. I didn't really think about that in the stories that you tell us, like, but it's true. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, in in the vein of relationships... Jesus is, of course, unwed in the Bible, so his mother is the most important person in his life. So Mary gets called, like I said before, the queen of heaven. Like, isn't it interesting that we have Jesus as the prince of peace and Mary as the queen of heaven? Like, it's this really weird bend over backwards to stay celibate situation. So we're just like, she's queen and he's king, but they, you know, are not that way, LOL. It's very like, your gay son being like his mother's the most important person in his life. And it's like, yeah, she is It's kind of like the queen mother. Yeah. Yeah. Kind but of. at the same time, like Jesus is God and God impregnated her. So like, it's already this weird kind of like incestuous circle of life thing. Yeah. That's a good point. Oh, that is a good point, Tara. You go girl. <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> I knew about Nazareth and this circle of life. <laughs> You did. You did. And, you know, we've talked about Eve already, but I think that one of the most important kind of binaries in the New Testament specifically are the two Marys, Virgin Mary versus Mary Magdalene. 
I think that it reflects this really, it's, it's that sexist worldview where women are either virgins or whores and there's no in between where, you know, you have the Virgin Mary who is perfectly nice and she's prim and proper. And the angel Gabriel comes and says, you're going to, you know, have to push this watermelon through your vagina. And she's like, okay. Versus Mary Magdalene, who, you know, apparently lived this, like she had demons in her and we think she was probably a prostitute. And ugh, can you even imagine? Because she wore yellow. Yeah. Oh, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, both of these women are very scant in the text. There's very little that they actually say. And we already have these assumptions about them of Mary being so pure and Mary Magdalene having fucked up so much. And like now she's pure. And we have these very broad moral judgments about their positions. But like compare that to Peter who fucks up all the time. Like all (laughs) Peter does is fuck up. Jesus spends half the fucking New Testament being like, no, Peter, God. (laughs) But we don't think of Peter as a fuck up in the way that we think of Mary Magdalene as a reformed fuck up. And we put Mary Magdalene against the Virgin Mary as like these two women who are both important to Jesus and they are bad and good. I mean, they're both good now, but in terms of their backgrounds, they're bad and good, pure and impure. But the men never get this binary view. Well, men also just get to do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah, that's true. Interesting. That Mary. That Mary. That wonderful Mary. So uh, now I would like to take a moment for our art review. Yes. What are we Google? So if you just Google Virgin Mary. Virgin Mary. Are we looking at the sexy black Virgin Mary nun suit? <laughs> I don't think we are. So what are what are your first impressions? She's always seems to have this weird like she has a serene look on her face all the time, mm-hmm. like very calm and peaceful. And she's very white. <laughs> she is very white. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. The whitewashing is real. The glowing around her. Like she's always got this like aura. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, what color is she wearing? White and blue. Oh, She's always wearing blue. She'll wear other colors, but she almost always is portrayed wearing blue. Okay, yeah. I'll agree that that could be a blue. <laughs> well, and, you know, she'll wear white quite often. White is like a very pure color, but usually she's in blue. And part of that is a Renaissance tradition, because to make blue paint, you had to get lapis lazuli, which had to be imported from Afghanistan. It was more valuable than gold. And so that um, that cerulean blue color was especially holy it was reserved for the virgin mary as you know this hugely important figure it was like a way of showing how important she was was to paint her blue mm-hmm. and you'll also notice the images where her heart is visible through mm-hmm. her shirt which i always found super weird and why is there always a sword through it yes so simeon in his prophecy says that mary's heart will be pierced by a sword possibly referring to how brokenhearted she'll be when jesus dies so that's why there's always a sword piercing the immaculate heart or sometimes there are like wounds it's so that it reflects the pain that she underwent to like see jesus killed Mm -hmm. it also seems like she's always looking down yeah it's that very that very submissive like Mm -hmm. peaceful yeah She's often looking down at Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, it's that very deferential thing. Yeah, where I would feel like she should be looking up to, you know, God. Mm -hmm. And uh, her heart to, there are a couple of other things. She ponders things in her heart all the time. There are flowers often to represent purity and femininity. Sometimes she carries a lily for virgin purity. Uh, And there may also be flames, specifically around the heart, but just in general, she may have flames around her for prayer and for God's power, because there's a lot of flame in the Bible as imagery. She's a very light, aligned kind of character. A mystical rose. A mystical rose. And you'll notice that her head is always covered, or nearly always covered. Mm -hmm. Isn't that why they... Not why they always do this, but isn't that one of the faiths usually covers their head for prayer? In in Islam, uh, the tradition is for women to cover their heads. And in Orthodox churches, too, especially in the more conservative sects, it's pretty common to require women to have head head coverings, especially in churches. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. I'm like, Islam's where, like, almost any time they're outside their house, but, like, it, pretty much anybody except for their, like, personal family, but in... Most Orthodox families, you have to at least have it in church. Yeah, and so there will be, like, scarves. You get a lot of, like, babushkas wearing scarves and stuff. Exactly. Yep, yep. It's That's the same thing. But so, yeah, that's our, that's our art review. Is these very kind of peaceful... Often Jesus is a, a baby kind of curled up. You don't get a lot of uh, depictions of Mary with adult Jesus. You do get some here and there, but not a ton. Yeah. I see a toddler Jesus. That was probably when they left him in Jerusalem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they were no, like, he was oopsie. 12. I will say, I, I think it's interesting that there's almost never grown up Jesus with grown up Mary because it feels kind of like the mother is only important while you're a baby. And then once you're a grown up, then she doesn't matter anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Almost everything about the Virgin Mary is sexist. <laughs> Very much so. Except that she's the most important person. Yeah. All right. So is that Mary? Um, so, yeah, that's Mary. What did, what did you guys learn? Um, I learned that, honestly, in my opinion, she lived like a really crappy life. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, she just basically... Whether you're in the Apocrypha or actual Bible, like, it was just following the leadership of men when she really was the, like, they couldn't have had any of this without her. And yet they treated her just like, I don't know, a a weird, like, fireplace decoration. Yeah, like a prop. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, yeah. Like, she was just this tool to get to the, to baby Jesus. And I think it makes me sad that there, aside from Jesus, there was, didn't really seem to be any love in her life. Yeah, that is kind of a, a strange question. Um, I mean, it seems that she has family that she's close to. Mm-hmm. She definitely is close to John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth. Uh, and we mentioned earlier that she seems to have a sister. So she seems to have family, like some kind of social life around Mm-hmm. in nazareth but her yeah her relationship with joseph is a total mystery it's really unclear if they had any real love uh, depending on the tradition they may not have had any sex mm-hmm. 
So it seems that her kind of role ended up just being mom. Mm -hmm. And that's the corner that she was put in. I mean, it is the most rewarding job of all, but it's not the only job. Right. And when your kid dies, it kind of takes the wind out of your sails. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Man, what a life. Yeah. What a life. Thanks, Mary. Thanks, Mary. Thank you, Mary. You're the best. So, yeah, that, that's our Virgin Mary um, stuff. And so our next episode is going to be about Jacob and Esau. We're going to pick back up with, uh, with those descendants of Abraham. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thanks, everybody. Have a happy holidays. Happy holidays. Remember the manger. <laughs> or whatever you want to or remember. Whatever. whatever you want to remember. Remember Jupiter and Saturn. You do you. Yep. It's all important. Uh, bye-bye. 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 Mama Mia. Here we go again. How can I resist you? Oh my god, I can't believe, hold on, before we forget, I need to put it out there that I have a story for Mike that I've been literally holding on to telling you until we record it again, and I'm going to wait until the end, because it's going to be our bonus episode. Excellent. Uh, so Tara, what's this? What's yes, this? What's oh this my story? god. Oh my god. Okay, so I called my brother and I was like, bro, I want to talk to you about life. I'm catching up, you know, doing all this stuff, and then... Somehow we got on the topic about how I've been recording the podcast and he was like, oh yeah, how's that going? And I was like, oh, you know, just trying to, you know, fill in the voids that mom and dad left of not ever (laughs) really being good parents and teaching us things like this. And he was like, well, they did do that whole thing where they sent you and I to that church thing. And I was like, wait, what? And he was like, yeah, I had some friends that were part of this group and mom and dad were just excited to get me out of the house. And then they asked me to take you and I didn't care because you would have been in a different group because of how large of an age difference there is between me and my brother. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What church group was I part of? And it turns out that I was enrolled in the Awanas. I don't know what that is. You don't know what that is? Okay. I was really hoping that, that you'd be like, what? That's what I want to know. Do you have any songs? No. Well, I guess. So Awana is this um, child discipleship. Basically, my brother described it as like church, like scouts, where like you would have to do like churchy things and then you would earn badges and you had like a vest or like something like that and you would earn a badge for like every sort of like biblical thing that you mastered. And so my brother at the time was probably like middle school, probably like coming up on high school, but not quite high school. And he was like doing this with his friends. And then I was in the preschool and he said... (laughs) He said that I would not, like, learn anything in these classes. I, mean, I just treated it as, like, my social hour of the week, and, like, as if I was going to, like, cocktails with the girls or something. So it's exactly like this. So exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> and he was like, he was like, yeah, you didn't learn a thing because they were trying to teach you, but you were holding like social court in like the corner and the tea. And finally, we got asked not to come back because of me. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> because I was not partaking in the the classes and so my brother got kicked out of Awana's because his little baby sister couldn't shut her mouth and didn't want to learn about Jesus (laughs) I just have a picture of you sitting in the corner corner with a martini on Mount Olive (laughs) on Mount Olive with your martini and be like, listen here, kids. <laughs> this book seems a little cracked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just sit back like you do when we're doing this, yeah. and you just sit back and go, this book. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> when did Max come out? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I do technically have a bonus segment about the Magi, but uh, we don't have to do it. Save it. Necessarily. Save it. Yeah. For what? Our Christmas episode where we talk about the nativity? I don't know what magis are, so I didn't know. If could- <laughs> those are the, They're the, three, those are the, the wise three men. Kings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's save it for nativity. Tara, we talked about the nativity this time. <laughs> let's save it for the nativity that we already talked about. <laughs> I didn't know if we would have like an actual like Jesus birth story. Like episode. what? We- <laughs> <laughs> Heather, back me up here. <laughs> Isn't there more to it? No. no. <laughs> oh my god, I'm gonna pee my pants a little. <laughs> but there's so many songs about it. How could that? Yeah, have it's been? all about the fucking manger. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, then let's do it now. Silent night away in a manger. Yeah. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. Okay, tell us about the magi. Yeah. Are they magical? I will get there. Okay. Uh, for today's bonus episode, we are talking about the Magi, the mysterious wise men who came to visit Jesus. They uh, show up only in the Gospel of Matthew. They are one of those things. That they're like the star. Um, they actually show up from the east because they see the star. They arrive in Judea and they tell Herod, oh yeah, no, we, uh, we heard in our, I think it was a dream that they had, that there's a new king of the Jews. And like, look, we're following the stars. Isn't this so cool? And Herod is like, uh, uh-huh, super cool. <clears throat> um, if you guys could go and find the baby, that'd be great. And then if you tell me where he is, then I'll show up and worship him too. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? Worship him so, to kill him. Right. Right. Nefarious. Uh, so, you wanted to kill him? Oh, yeah. Remember, because Herod killed yeah. all those baby boys in Bethlehem. Oh. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But so the wise men, the magi, agree to go and find Jesus, but they are warned in a dream that Herod is bad shit. So when they find Jesus, they worship him, they give him gifts, and then they go home by another way. So they are either wise men or kings. Nothing in the text says that they're kings. Magi is actually a term for priests in Zoroastrianism which is a a really, really ancient Persian religion. So we're thinking like Middle Eastern, we're thinking pre-Islamic. And the Magi, it's kind of like the Druids in Ireland and Britain and Gaul. They 
were super educated and as a part of their kind of priestly education, they learned about a lot of like natural sciences and magic and stuff. So they were very in touch with astrology because astrology was science in the ancient world and like mysticism, these like Zoroastrian secrets. And so the term magi, meaning a Zoroastrian priest, is connected to the occult, which is where we get the word magic. Okay. And that's probably why they're called the wise men is because magi means, you know, Persian priest. I thought they were kings. Yeah, the king thing is it kind of develops as, uh, you know, these people come from the East. They are super well learned. They are super important. And then they kind of get pumped up, especially as people don't know what magi means. Mm hmm until eventually they kind of become kings in the popular understanding. I feel a little bit seen here. <laughs> but keep going. Uh usually in the West they're understood to be they're understood to be named Melchior, Caspar, and Balthazar. They have other names in various other religions, but these are the ones that I've definitely heard the most. And they famously bring gold frankincense and myrrh so obviously gold is gold frankincense is um, like a tree resin it's one of the ingredients in incense and myrrh is an oil apparently it's also from like tree resin but all of these are super fancy they're like ridiculously expensive so i can't believe that you're fucking gifting your rolex to this infant again like jesus just like pops all this shit in his mouth like what's mary gonna hawk it i don't really know <laughs> what they're gonna do with these expensive ass gifts you know what i mean what do they do with it it never does say it just says that the these like super fancy people come from distant lands and that they give the baby a bunch of ridiculously expensive gifts well i know frankincense essential oil it's really good for the skin so. yeah jesus is just like super like luscious skin <laughs> just <laughs> he's having spa days you know yes exactly one of the theories is that gold is a symbol of earthly wealth myrrh is an oil that can be used in embalming so it signifies death and then frankincense because uh you use it in incense incense is used in temples so it's a symbol of heaven so it's like you uh, you will have a prosperous life you will die which will be so tragic but then you will attain a level of holiness in heaven blah 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 a different a different idea is that they represent virtue prayer and suffering so like they, it's kind of one of those you pick three fancy things and then you can kind of put whatever meanings on them that you I want i was gonna say very prophetic yes <laughs> yes exactly um and then so in the vein of them being kings it never does say in the bible exactly where they're from they just kind of appear because they see a super cool fucking star and then they pop up and they're like, Hey, King Herod, I hear someone's going to overthrow you. So we just know that they are foreign. The idea is often that they're Persian or Arabian or Babylonian, Indian or African, but like nobody, nobody has any fucking idea. They just, they're foreign and they bring foreign riches. They bring things that you can't find in Judea or that are hard to get in Judea. At least one of them, especially in art, at least one of them is usually black with varying amounts of racism. Uh, sometimes it's very like racial stereotyped. Sometimes they're just all three Middle Eastern kings, but 
it's pretty often that you'll see one of them as being black. I feel like there is a kind of nefarious read of this, especially because I've grown so cynical reading some of the details of these stories. There's a really imperialist view, I think, where the Magi, which again is the name of a priest class in a different religion, the Magi show up to offer gifts. It's very, the foreigners need to recognize Christianity and the foreigners need to contribute their wealth to Christianity. That's how literally it's always been explained to me. Yes. Which is like kind of gross, but it was like a foreign body who maybe didn't like accept Christianity or in Jesus. Like that was them being like, oh, yep, we get it. We better accept them and bring our gifts to please him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very, the church of Jesus needs to be the center of wealth in the world and that they need to control that wealth so that they can give it out to people who need it, like a giant charity kind of. But this is the, this is the tradition that leads to the Pope in Rome being so fucking rich, especially through, you know, through the Reformation and beyond, like Lord knows the Pope still controls preposterous amounts of wealth. It's very, well, it's just so, we have to go to the heathen lands of Africa and we have to take all of their gold and that's what God wants. And it's like, oh, God. Well, it kind of reminds me, you know, these three magi are bringing like offerings to the God. You know how like in Greek mythology, you bring offerings to the gods? Yeah, and, but I also think that it's about they are surrendering their wealth to God. And that they shouldn't have to be asked Mm -hmm. because they came of their own volition and gave it up. And that means that they are supposed to give it up because that's what God wants. And so if they don't give it up, then you're justified in taking it. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Again, that might be, that might be like the very darkest read of it. But as I was looking, looking at this, you know, this story and Matthew again, and, and reading some of the other background stuff, I just, I can't help but seeing the very darkest interpretation of it, especially in the way that Christianity has been used as an imperialist tool for so long. So it's kind of a downer. I mean, but kind of true. Yeah. Bonus segment. (laughs) Yay. Yay. I loved it. Ruin all of your family Christmas conversations in the name of Holy Spirit's the podcast. Amen. I love the story. Like just the three kings in general have always had a special place in my heart. So mm-hmm. we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We traverse so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, with my dad's Christmas store, it was the kings and Jesus were always what people stole. Oh, the mm. Christmas store. Interesting. Um, I believe it's Guatemalan culture doesn't believe that um, you should profit over the sale of Jesus. So they would always steal the Jesuses. So therefore we couldn't profit off the sale. Oh. And then the kings, I think is because they were always the easiest to break in people's manger scenes. <laughs> and so they would oh. always, people would always come in and steal them. And one time I lost like a life-size version of the one that's always kneeling, whoever that is. Uh, I don't know. We, I always thought it was Balthazar, the one who's like in the nativity scene, always offering the gift 
yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, we had this person special order, like a truly like life size, huge, like lawn ornament type nativity scene. And my dad was like really pumped for it. And I was supposed to unbox all the pieces and make sure they were all looking right. And I could not find that king for the life of me. And I was like, literally, it's the size of a grown man. (laughs) (laughs) Where could he be in this like kind of small store? (laughs) Like, and it turned out that he was in like the rafters and. What, like, how did he get there? Just one of the stock boys put him up there, and I had to like climb up until up and find him, and it was a big deal. But we found him, and we were able to get a pretty large sale out of it. So it was a big, big win for the Dawson household. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, good old Balthazar came through in the end. Big Balthazar, it turns yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. Regular size Balthazar. Yep. Not a teeny teeny one. Do you guys want to hear what I learned today? Yes. There's a holiday called Three Three Kings Day, and that is when the kings brought gifts to Jesus. Oh yeah. <laughs> I yeah. didn't know that. Is it on December? Is it on? Is it on Christmas Day? Isn't that when they brought the gifts? No, that's when he was supposedly born. Three Kings Day is on January sixth. Oh, they didn't make it there until the 6th? Yeah, because they didn't know to come until the day that the star came up, signifying, and then they just followed the star. I think we should all get together and celebrate. (laughs) On January 6th? Even if it is virtually. I mean, I feel like the the birth of the Savior is more important than these assholes showing up with presents. (laughs) Like, did they miss the baby shower? They're late. (laughs) And don't you feel like a dick? You brought frankincense and myrrh and the other one brought gold. Yeah, Jesus immediately takes the gold and just, like, sticks it in his mouth. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, I think (sighs) this was a good episode. I loved it. Yeah. It was good. Yeah, way to be, you guys. Yeah. Nailing it. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for sticking through my incredibly grim bonus segment. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye. 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 Bye.